Hi folks and welcome to the latest episode of Plastic Grass Square. I'm your host Aaron Lucas and this episode we'll be chatting to Sonia Corcoran, learning designer, experienced designer, general roustabout. She's spent a lot of time working with tertiary institutions here in Australia uh, and has done a lot of work on improving the student experience. Let's have a chat to Sonia. Sonia, good afternoon. Welcome to Plastic Grass Square. How are you? I'm very well, Aaron. How are you? I am excellent. Thank you very you're much for asking. Pretty, you're looking pretty dapper. Ah, uh, indeed. I have my special uh, Dalton Striker Engineering shirt on today. Ooh. Who am I pretending to be? Mr. Baldwin. I'm Mr. Baldwin. Oh, <laughs> just what the world needs. More Baldwins. Well, I'm from my accent. I'm Irish. So I came over to Sydney 10 years ago. Um, came over for girls. You have all the gay girls in Sydney. In this place called Newtown, it's where you keep them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, stayed. I was a backpacker and loved it and st- stuck around. Um, my background, uh, I studied in Dublin. I did a double honours degree in psychology and IT. Mm-hmm. Uh, that got me into education and educational design. And then when I was here, I got a job at Sydney University and I worked my way over about four years of like casual roles to finally get an educational design role that I was qualified for. Wow. And did you, your, so when you chose to do that double degree in, um, in, in psych and IT, did you want to be an educational designer or were they just like, hey, this stuff sounds cool? I, I was I just 18, I just wanted to go and like be in Dublin and like get drunk. Uh, <laughs> it's only when I got to Australia that I realised I did a double honours degree. I yep. just thought I was doing a degree because like that's what we called them. But everyone over here is like, oh, I'm doing a double honours. I'm like, oh, what's that? And I'm like, oh, I did that. Um, yeah, I wanted to do um, psychology and then I also didn't know that I could do IT. Um, so the subjects weren't available to me as when I was in high school, because mm-hmm. um, I was a girl. She's not allowed to do it, apparently. Um, although some people have, much respect to them, but I didn't find out until I was in my 30s that I could do this thing called coding. Um, oh. Yeah. So, yeah, so I don't think I love psychology. I do always have like this big picture in my head that I'd start the first half of my career in kind of IT and education mm. and the second half I'll pad it out with psychology. Mm. So I do have grand plans to go back and study clinical psychology and help people out. Oh, so you, you do, you would like to return to, to, like, to yeah, practice one day? I'm right? always learning, yeah. 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 Amazing. Mm. Um, so you mentioned your, your early career was an educational designer. Um, there's so many different kinds of design and so many different kinds of designers. Mm. What's an, what's an educational designer? Yeah, it, I get that question uh, a lot, especially from the academics who I'm employed to help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the easiest way I think of explaining it over the years is using the TPAC model, which is um, if you think of a square with co- for context and three Venn diagrams or three circles, which are a Venn diagram, and you think of technology, pedagogy, and content. Mm-hmm. Um, and pedagogy is the science of learning. So that's where the psychology and the education kind of overlap technology is where the psychology and technology overlap and the content is what the academic does Ah, Mm. okay 
And so your job is to bring it all is together. To, is to actually make that Venn diagram into a thing that yeah. works. Get it right in the middle, right. so um, it works for everybody on both sides. So it works for the ac- academic, works for the administrators, and also works for the students. Right. Um, that's a l- pretty diverse sort of little group of stakeholders that you've got to work with there. Yes. 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 Um, but thankfully they're all human, so there's some okay. yeah, well, common that denominators. Handy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, do you, is it like, you know, is it, is it difficult to drag uh, academics down a, a technology path? Uh, it is quite difficult to engage academics because they're so time poor and mm-hmm. um, you have to be very respectful of the time they have because they have very little of it and they also have consultation fatigue mm. so they've been in they've been teaching for 20 years i'm not the first or the last educational designer that they'll experience and sometimes it's like yeah but what are you going to do for me right. um yeah so in terms of dragging people down a path i never want to drag anyone um, I have a really strong ethos, which is design with, not for. Um, I tend to start really slow, um, and I'll save them a little bit of time, mm-hmm. and then they'll come back because they want to save more time, and then they'll come back because they have finally had all that time, and they'll, they're able to think and reconsider how they, they do things, and that's when we get these like bigger, better kind of innovative solutions. Mm, so I call it the small eye in innovation. I just slowly chip away at your time until yeah. you have about four hours to think on something and then you come back and I'm like, yeah, there's technology that can do that. Let's do that. Excellent. So that, I guess that, so that, that designing uh, with, not for, you said, like, mm-hmm. um, is, a, is a really, you know, great method of, of creating time for people and, and giving them that opportunity to actually think about what it is that mm. they do as opposed to being like in this sort of constant execution phase where they're just like doing stuff oh god i'm doing stuff oh my god there's more stuff i've got to do it yeah and yeah so on average most academics have about four or five roles that they play mm-hmm. so they'll teach they're a researcher they're also generally a clinician so they, they have to keep up with their practice whatever that is maybe, mm-hmm. maybe like as a radiographer maybe as a doctor maybe as a dentist and they also sit on all the committees so they run the university and they do an awful lot for and um, they're generally parents as well or they have families or you know like to go for a walk sometime and get outside. oh you mean they have a life yeah some of them do no. i don't know how they do no. like there's literally not enough hours in the day and yeah. Um, yeah and so i think being very mindful and respectful of people's time and um, even from the very first meeting, um, and show them a deliverable, um, yeah. and kind of builds, build their confidence in you and trust. Um, very very often, um, I get asked, "What is an educational designer?" Uh, which is quite confronting when you work in education, um, and I just say, "I teach people how to teach, and I teach mm. people how to learn." Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Mm. Um, and so just unpacking the designing with not for a little bit more as well is that was that kind of like a um, a driving ethos for you for very early on or was it something that you arrived at as you learned more about how uh, psychology about psychology and about how people interact with um, technology and or was it was it just kind of like this idea that you had yeah. after you got to Dublin and started drinking or <laughs> <laughs> always drinking yeah. um, I think if I look back and you're bringing me back a while, um, my first 
job out of while I was in uni to support uni I used to do like 20 hours on a weekend mm -hmm. working uh, in a call center so I did tech support for a British telecom so it's kind of like your Telstra yes. on the broadband end and I saw very quickly the success people had and the the trouble people had speaking to people on the phone um, going in with assumptions of well a their knowledge or b their experience mm. um, and in order to just do my job I just learned to listen and not make these grand assumptions of like what are you clicking on you know um, yeah. and I think the design with was more just stop and listen to that person um, because the problem you think they have is probably not the problem they actually have. Mm. Um, I'm not a fan of the word actually because it means nothing, but the problem they genuinely have. Um, and I definitely arrived at that at an early age, which is problem solving is not, don't fall in love with the solution because there's lots of different solutions, fall in love with the problem and maybe dive a little bit deeper on that. Mm. Um, and being very aware of my technology bias um, technology doesn't always solve the problem because generally the problem is a people problem so yes. solve that first yeah. and then add the technology on for the I suppose the um, optimization, fixing the people problem. Yeah, well I mean so like I know um, that a, lot of, a lot of the user research I've, I've done in the last couple of years or so often we find out that the problems are cultural mm -hmm. and the problems are, are, are more to do with the culture in a business and those processes that that culture spawns, as opposed to like, oh, the process is broken. Sometimes the process is of, a, of whatever it might be, of how you onboard new staff, or mm. you know, how you transfer someone from department to department, or how you integrate new parts of a business or an organization together. Sure, those things are broken, mm. but they're broken because the culture is broken in the first place. Um, so I think you know, what you're saying about, about listening and, and not being in love with the solution, and you know, thinking about what the problem really is mm. and trying to solve that is, like, that's pretty fundamental to a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, human-centred design and, and user research as well. And on that, Aaron, I think untangling where the problem arose. Um, mm. An awful lot. It's, I've, I learned a phrase earlier this year, which is toxic assumptions. Ooh. So when you inherit um, a procedure or a process or an application, um, you kind of have to go, okay, well, when and why did people make the decisions that we're arriving at what we have now? Mm. And sometimes just like unpacking that a little bit, kind of being a little bit of a detective and go, okay, what happened? Um, and lo and behold, you find someone made an assumption way back when that worked for the time, mm. but like fast forward a year, five years, 10 years, even 50 years, and it's like, that's no longer the case. Yeah. So you're making a toxic assumption based on what was designed previously. Mm. So revisiting it and kind of, what do they call it? Blue sky, blue sky design. Indeed, indeed. So, I mean, it's almost like the iterative design process never ends. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, um, and I know it's something, uh, that's something that in, in some respects Crystal Higgins was talking about um, at UX London this year and also um, at Enterprise UX at our last meetup in um, July. You know, that onboarding in particular mm. as part of a larger design practice never ends mm. like you you need to constantly think about where that user or where that customer is in their onboarding process because they need to be carried along the whole way and stay engaged with whatever 
product is or the process or whatever it is that they're doing, they're doing, they need to stay engaged the whole time and you need to keep rechecking with them almost. Exactly, and that rechecking comes in like measurement and evaluating and evidence. So mm. um, I'm a huge fan of evidence-based change. Don't change for the sake of change. Wax some metrics on it. Know that you're making the right changes. Mm. You know, set some targets, set some goals. And, and that, that constant onboarding, like always checking in. Yeah. Um, in a very respectful of people's time manning. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't want to be like, you know... Um, <laughs> 10,000 surveys a day. Oh, no, thank you. No, nobody wants that. Mm. So, um, after your early start as a, uh, as in education design, um, you went and completed a course at General Assembly, I believe, um, I to learn how to code. Yeah, I did. I... Um, I did a grad cert in education in the university mm-hmm. and one of our projects was to come up with the idea of, an, of a project, um, which seemed absurd to me as an educational designer, <laughs> but I did it. Um, but I went, obviously went one, four, like one step um, beyond and I built it. And so it was a single page application to kind of group all these videos we had. Um, and I think I just... I downloaded a template, I paid $7 on Envato and pulled down a template and mm. hadn't a clue what I was doing and just changed the words and made it work and presented it and the entire class was like, these 40 academics where like their jaws were on the floor, they were like, what do you mean you built that? I was like, yeah, I don't even know what I'm doing, <laughs> like I really yeah, don't yeah, know what yeah. I'm doing, like I just clicked a couple of buttons, saved yep. a few files um, and they loved it and it and it, it, that sparked to me, like I constantly as a designer is coming up against platforms and systems. I was like, oh, they didn't think about, you know, this user and they didn't think about this user. And like, if it only did this. Mm. And then it occurred to me, I was like, well, just build it, like build it yourself. Yeah. So I applied for a scholarship, um, which I won. Um, yeah. So Sydney Uni very generously um, paid for the General Assembly course mm-hmm. and I got three months off. And I did the web development immersive course in February, um, like January of uh, 2015, mm-hmm. so nearly three years, over three years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I loved it. It was like, they tell you it's nine to five Monday to Friday. It's not. Um, oh, immersives aren't like that. That's, exactly. Yeah. And I've got, I've got like my mum raised us to say like what you put in, you get out. Mm. So it was like 18 hour days for me every single day. And I absolutely adored every second of it. It was hard. And if anybody's thinking of doing it, I would um, say have a few chats with a few different people mm-hmm. and just make sure that it's the right way of learning for you yep. before jumping in. And um, there's no magic wand to just turn you into a coder overnight I'm still very much on my learning um, journey in Mm. that regard yeah so and then I went back to uni and the idea was this was like a next step scholarship so the idea is to give people um, a pathway so what they're doing and maybe kind of divert the course okay yeah um so i went back and i was like great i have all these skills like let me code yeah and they let's were do like, some stuff let's do some stuff let's build some things and they're like eh, um we don't really have a role that that calls for that and so i was like okay and uh, me being me a bit crafty uh my colleague at the time, who was a multimedia educational designer, went on mm-hmm. uh, common, so he went to a, a different role for three months, and I gently convinced him to hire a web developer um, oh. to replace him in multimedia for those three months. 
So we got in a multimedia, or sorry, we got in a web developer called Terry So. Shout out Terry, he's awesome. Um, and yeah, I went out and I had all these ideas for all these educational apps that I wanted to build, mm -hmm. predominantly the ones that I had done projects in General Assembly. Right. I yeah. wanted to implement them in the university and like, you build your project in like three to four days. So I like fleshed that out a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I won maybe co-wrote maybe 10, 12 educational innovation grants and we brought those in. And the first one was, I think we got $8,000, uh, myself and Terry designed and built an app in eight days, released it to two different cohorts, mm -hmm. um, had over 4,000 submissions and the exam results in each cohort went up by 15% Wow! by just using that app. Um, and that went on to win an international award and that went on to be funded for $10 million as part of a research project. And that was the first one we've got like 10 others that are... Bloody hell. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, well, it's not really. I mean, it's not crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean though. Like, you know, it's just like this... It was unheard of. Yes. So yeah, yeah. to say like, uh, I mentioned earlier, like I'm a huge fan of evidence and measurements. Yeah. And so it's all well and good making things pretty, but you know, make them functional and make it work for everyone. Uh, another great example, same time we built... Um, a single page so the project I did in the grad cert which was mm. like this single page video app um, we built it and so it was a Vimeo API we pulled all the videos in instead of students taking them a minute and a half to get to the videos on a learning management system they got to it in three seconds they oh. could search it they could see what they've watched it auto played and uh, it was basically like Netflix for educational videos and we went from the previous year when it was on the learning management system to 4,000 views with around 100 people. Mm -hmm. um, when we rolled ours out on the single page app, we had 16,000 views with like 70 people. Wow. Mm. That's like Quadrupled. that. Yeah, that engagement is so much better. And I mean, obviously that has a huge impact on the on the educational outcomes for the yeah. students as well. Like, And we measured it because we like measurement. Ah, so, yeah. yeah. So we measured efficacy, we measured to, to put context around that these aren't just videos, these are medical radiation um, scientists mm -hmm. that they go into a master's course, they may not have done radiography before, and within six weeks they're in hospitals and clinics taking x-rays. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they need to be prepared yeah, and they yeah. felt completely, so we have all these, we have over a hundred patient positioning videos. So how to take an x-ray of your hand at this angle, this angle, this angle, and works all the way over the body. Yeah. Uh, so we had about a hundred of those videos. They're like really short, really good, really, really detailed. And, but the students were only maybe watching the first one and then going, oh yeah, this takes too long and maybe not watching the second and fourth one in the series. Yeah. Whereas when we built the new platform and it was easy to get to, they watched them all and they rewatched them and they rewatched them. And as a result, they felt more confident when they went because they could practice. Because they already knew what they were, yeah. Yeah, and it was dedicated practice and it was easy and they could, a little bit of like, I suppose, um, we did add in some data so they could see what, um, everyone else in the class was watching mm -hmm. so you kind of had that like internal competitiveness where it's like oh my god like 80% of people in the class have watched it so I better watch it yeah, and you're yeah. like yeah it must yeah, be good better. yeah we could have lied and we could have been like 99% of your college like but no it was real real data served up to the interface so um oh yeah we did so much more like I, I could talk about that project for ages because mm. um, we did a lot on that but 
that was that was kind of it. So when I came back, they were like, "Wow, we can do things and technology." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. ideas in her head actually yeah. working." Um, and then we managed to keep Terry on a little bit longer, a little bit longer, extend his contract, extend his contract. Um, yeah, and we just kept building and um, winning education innovation grants, winning more education innovation grants. Oh, universities love grant money, don't they? Oh, they do, they do. <laughs> and then it just ends. You're like, great, it's now sustainable. You're like, no, <laughs> it was a prototype. Um, yeah, so that took me up to um, 2016. So I went back for a year, mm. had lots of success. And then I was like, I'm not getting to code because I was doing all my like education design work which mm. is liaising with 500 academics um, and building out their quizzes their curriculum their assessments yeah. I specialize in assessments that's um, you know measurement yes. uh, yeah. <laughs> evidence you, you wouldn't be a, uh, a nerd for measurement by chance oh, just, 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 just a little bit yeah okay, just, 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 just a bit um, <laughs> yeah and then UTS um, had a role open for a full stack developer um, and I went for it and I got it. So I worked at UTS for um, nearly a year. Mm. And then it was at that time I was speaking at a conference, a women in tech conference, and I emailed a colleague back in the previous university and I said, hey, you should speak at this conference. And she said, why does your email address say UTS? Where are you gone? And I was like, oh, yeah, I got this. Oh, yeah, by the way. Oh, yeah, I got this, by the way. And then she said, well, that's ridiculous. Um, I have a role if you're interested um, back. And yeah, so I went for that role and I got it. So that was manager of digital innovation at Sydney University. Oh, exciting. It is. It's a very fancy title. It takes yeah. ages to say it. I'm just like, I'm a nerd. That's it. It's yeah. a nerd. Um, and you get paid to nerd. I get paid to nerd. I get paid to nerd with other nerds. It's even better than just nerding alone. Yes, most <laughs> definitely. Most definitely. Um, I, I want to go back a little bit to something you said uh, a couple of minutes ago talking about how, um, you know, as a designer, um, it's often difficult to, to translate design to the systems um, or whatever the tech stacks are, um, and that, you know, part of your decision to learn to code was to try and bridge that gap. Um, do you feel that there is still, like, it's still kind of a missing piece of, of experience design overall and service design and, and customer experience where, like, design often only goes as far as like some really sweet annotated wireframes and then you hand it over to some developers and go, thanks. It can, it can, because it's the glue. Um, mm. And for me, if you if we roll back a little bit earlier to the TPAC model where you've got technology content pedagogy, mm -hmm. those three things happen at the same time. Yeah. And if you can get a couple of, if you can get a person who crosses over the two, um, we called them, they, they used to be called T-shaped individuals, and now I think we've moved on to pi, like, you know, 3.14 pi, yes, symbol. Yep. Um, if you can get a few of those people for the duration, it, it really it really matters, because um, it's like anything, it's it comes down to communication. So if you mm. do some sweet-ass wireframes, and yeah. go, great, I've communicated my vision, uh, like, exquisitely, and then hand it to someone who can't read that diagram, it's going to be a schmuzzle. Like it's going to be a debacle. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, and I suppose now that I, you know, as, as you explain it like that, as, a, as designers, we probably should be listening to developers and not just handing tasks off to them. Like, you, you know, they should be part of the stakeholders that we listen to and we should probably listen to them early so that we know that we're not designing things that are 
ridiculous and impossible or, or you know hard to understand or absolutely mm. absolutely and I that was one of my huge kind of outcomes that I've realized is I can speak both languages yeah so I can speak to design I can speak to education and now I can speak to technology mm. so when someone asks for a feature and they're like oh can I do this and you're like yeah I can do that if you have 10 months and six developers that you're going to pay a quarter of a million each yeah, yeah then yeah. I can do that then you then can, can do, do that. that yeah and then they're like oh I'm like right let's let's keep it basic like, yeah. let's let's build on it um and let's prioritize so yeah I look it's like anything you don't really want to be even like if you think of waitresses and, and chefs, mm. like how do you get that message back to the kitchen? Um, it's like, especially if someone changes the kind of order. You you know this, you're oh, hospitality. Yeah, yeah, you know how frustrating it can be. It's like, ah, oh, there's a reason why this doesn't come without this because it doesn't, yeah, it's the same. Like it's a communication thing and the more you can communicate as a team and co-design, the mm. better, the better the outcome. But it's different because people don't put value on that I suppose yeah. at the end of the day you have a client who's paying and they want the best product in the shortest amount of time at the short the smallest cost yeah 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 so like the co-design like because I know quite often you know co-design includes someone from from the client a lot of the time or you know some if you if there's been a, some user research on behalf of the client you will you might bring some of those participants back for co-design but really it probably needs to spread I don't really know whether I want to say horizontal or vertically or diagonally, but I think you know it needs to scatter plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it needs to it needs to cover everyone really who's yeah. going to be a part of the project. So the people who ultimately have to build out, but also the people that will be using it, probably need to have some input. I'm waving my arms like a like windscreen wipers here. Um, it looks good. Yeah, I'm sure. It I does. want to join in. <laughs> we can do the macarena next. Oh God, um, <laughs> I don't actually actually know. I do know. I just remembered. Anyway. Um, yeah, so like the that that co-design needs to needs to cover a lot of bases and not just the client's um, side, so that they feel like they're they're getting what they want. Yeah, there's some amazing examples that are at play already in industry. ThoughtWorks do a wonderful job. Alassian mm. are are now bringing it on board. It's it's less that kind of um, I suppose. Mm, what's it called conveyor belt style of yeah. like. Yeah. You know, it's it's all mushed in together which it should be because you know we're humans and we're complex and um if it can be built it's like if it was easy to build it would already exist yes you yeah, know yeah. we're solving really delicate problems in really like new and novel ways so that takes a bit of time yeah and almost you know like um the the complexity of of humans um often is quite powerful when you let that complexity mix together and 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 become part of a you know a whole a whole team or a whole group or whatever it might be you know the the complexity of people and their strengths and weaknesses if you actually bring the whole team together um, from all different parts of what it is that you're designing and building and researching um, you probably end up with something a lot more powerful Absolutely, like you're an athlete, you know how how you are. You're giggling like a schoolgirl. Uh, yes, you are. Yeah, all right. Um, and you know how important that team and that communication, like the six C's of communication, mm, mm. um, are so important. And it doesn't just stop, you know, on the field or on the on the track. It mm. it moves into your professional life as well. Like yeah, mm, definitely. Um, so, 
obviously most of your career has been spent working within tertiary organisations or one or two tertiary organisations, as the, as the case might be. Um, do you th- see or think that there's much sort of use or appreciation um, for design thinking or any kind of iterative thinking process um, within those sorts of organisations or is there very much a, I'm doing this thing because I think it's right and also this is how I've done it before so I'm just going to keep doing it this way sort of approach to process design and, you know. I think if we go back to um, what we were talking about earlier, when you inherit a process and mm. you don't sit down and have the time to rethink it, you mm-hmm. just have to run with it. Yep. Um, that's pretty much like universities. There's a great quote by David Curran, CIO of Westpac, which is like um, 21st century technology smashing into 20, 20th century um, businesses like linked uh, with 19th yeah. century bureaucracy that's the university yeah. like our rules and guidelines you know they came out in like the 1800s and hasn't really iterated much since then mm. um, so in terms of are they open to it absolutely can they do it a little bit harder yeah. um, to implement um, I certainly have always implemented design thinking um, in every single thing that I do um, and people see that it works and and it's kind of a, a little bit more passive the way I do it mm-hmm. like people will come on board with me without knowing that they're now design thinkers yes um but you know clinicians are design thinkers like yeah. um uh, differential diagnosis is design thinking um and it's just putting a different lens on it I think the major thing in tertiary education holding them back is our procurement model our oh. finances. Yeah, okay. Um, everybody's pushing for this, you know, we're, waterfall is bad, agile, agile, agile. Mm-hmm. But you're like, yeah, waterfall still is the only way you can deliver. Your funding is based on projects, not on yeah. products. And so you're like, well, let's cut out waterfall and move agile, but let's keep this funding model the exact same, which is every year we ask for a slice of pie and have to deliver it in that year. Yeah. And you're like, that doesn't really... The two concepts don't really match, do they? They don't. And that's no. like the 19th century bureaucracy with mm. 21st century technology, and there's a mismatch, complete mm. mismatch, in my opinion. Um, and people do. They, they circumvent it, um, and it works, and everyone sees how it works. But um, some really good advice I got um, pretty much pivoted my thinking it was one of those paradigm shifts Mm. was that the university is like think of it as this big ship that moves like one degree every year if you're in that one degree it is mind-blowing like you were like whoa exponential change exponent but you know you've got to wait for your one degree right so because it's like seven thousand staff seventy thousand students and alumni that ranges into the millions you Mm. know it's it's a lot a lot to move um it's pretty much its own little city yes yeah Um, yeah. so i i do know that there's a huge push for design thinking and we engage consultants to come in and and work that way and Mm. um i was managing the tech lab and everything we do is design thinking and very rapid prototyping and delivery Mm. and does that work with universities and regulation and guidelines and not so much. Does no. it work in startup where you're just you know trying to get money to do something? Yeah, and that's yeah, where yeah. we've seen our success is where we can show evidence that it works. Then people can take the time to build the business case mm, mm. that 
you know, the funding model is set up for. Well, it's, I suppose, you know, universities are that difficult place where they're a public institution that has legislative requirements that needs to be met. That legislation doesn't change very much. The funding model, like you say, doesn't change very much. But unfortunately, fortunately, depending on, mm. on which way you look at it, I guess what's happening at the front end of a university is constantly evolving and changing. Yeah. Um, and while, you know, the content of the education probably doesn't change that much year on year, the cohort of students that you're getting through is new all the time, like, you know, he's constantly refreshing itself, constantly having students coming with new ideas and new expectations and, mm. you know, what are assuming, you know, their own assumptions um, and expecting that university is going to be this particular thing and then they get smacked over the head with a 19th century cricket bat a lot of the time. That's actually one of my biggest, like, points of educating people in, in terms of expectations. Mm. Like, we're, you know, the last four or five years we've grown up with Google, Facebook, Amazon, everything's instant. You know, yeah. you can get, like, we can get burgers here in a matter of seconds. We can just log on and get a, get a, a car, yep. or, like, to our door. Um, and in the university, it's not like that, you no. know, because we're not a billion-dollar technology company. Mm. We're a billion-dollar, like, educational company, but... But that billion dollars is spread very thin. It's in and out. Like, it yeah. is very much, like, what comes in goes out. Like, it's it's it works like a not-for-profit so, yeah. you know, salaries have to get paid, buildings have to be paid for, keep the lights on. Mm. And, but then you have these expectations where, hey, I just want, you know, to sit back and enroll from the comfort of my own chair, which you should be able to do. Um, it would be lovely. But... It would be delightful. Mm. Um, but you need to, people need to argue that case to change the funding model to make that a priority. There's just so many priorities in the university. Oh, yeah. Do you feel, do you think that, um, you know, there is a lot of motivation, though, to try and put students, I mean, like, you know, I guess students are kind of the product and the customer and the user at the same time, really, aren't they? Um, is there strong motivation to put students at the centre of, of sort of evolution and, and, and redesign of how universities work, or is the funding model too rigid and, and stops that? I think the funding model will change because um, you're seeing in, my, in research alone, like I come from a student-centred approach always mm -hmm. and from an educational perspective. Like there's no point of you just blah, 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 I'm so smart and you don't know what the students are experiencing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that design with, not for. So yeah. student-centred approach is massive. Um, we're seeing it in the educational design across the university. Um, mm -hmm. You see it in UTS as well. Shirley Alexander is a juggernaut for um, flipped learning and active learning in the classroom. Um, and this, and that, that approach is trickling into all the services mm. as well. So what are our students experiencing? Like, how is this for a student? And everyone's like, oh, those people, yes. Oh, those tens of thousands those, of people Yeah, those people that you wouldn't have a job unless they were there. Yeah, mm -hmm. them, which is really important, not only for the university to survive, but for like, the world to survive, yes. you know, our future leaders. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Our future, like, economy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, it's... I mean, they're, yes, they're, someone has to do the jobs later. And they're gorgeous. They're such amazing people. Like, it's mm. so inspirational to be around. And I don't know if I was that inspirational when I was 18 going to uni. But, uh, yeah, it's really heartfelt to it. The students have exceptional talent in Australia. Mm. 
um, and it needs to be supported and just yeah that coming back to saving people time like why does it take you three minutes to log into a system you know and refresh a page and why don't our learning management systems have search yeah. Why don't they have search? Like every, I've been banging on about that for ten years. I helped a company build a search tool. Mm. Anybody listening? Atomic Jolt search. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it's like, why are we doing this? Like, if you look at Nielsen's heuristics, he's got ten. Yeah. You know, it's not that hard to follow, people. It's a science. Yeah, it's, it's a it, recipe. It's pretty simple. Like, it's all there for you. It's all there for you, just to go and like, does this system do this? This is no, no, no. Don't buy that system. Yeah. Yeah, so I think um, design thinking and design and human-centered design is, is coming to the forefront and people are making smarter decisions because gone are the days where you would buy an enterprise system, mm-hmm. uh, we're moving towards software as a service and when yeah. you have software as a service, you've got continuous integration, continuous improvement, functionality, feature requests from the community. So you're seeing it change and both sides have to adapt to that change. Yeah. So the consumer and the producer. It sounds pretty awesome, really. It does, isn't it? Yeah. On-demand change. I'm excited about that. I'm not sure why, but I am. Oh, you should be. Yeah, okay, good. Like, yeah, like you can't really turn on your phone or um, your computer without getting an update of the, la- the latest improvement enhancement. True, true. And you, it, it, I suppose, you know, uh, smartphones in particular, really do lend themselves to that like constant tinkering i don't quite like that do you know what's brilliant though smartphones uh are pretty much they're not getting any smarter um and they're staying the same price dumb phones are getting way smarter and are so much cheaper oh really yeah you can get you can go out and get like a dumb phone for a hundred bucks and it does the exact same thing as your smartphone and yeah Yeah. and the battery lasts 10 times as long (laughs) And it doesn't cost you $1,300. Exactly. Mm. People will probably laugh at you like they did when you had that big Nokia block. But you know what? It works. What ifs? What ifs? Yeah. It Different does the thing. thing that it's supposed to do. All I want is good battery, to be honest. Yeah, pretty much. That'd be nice. I'm always happy if I get a day. A day's nice. A day, yeah. Getting half a day. You're like, no. Oh, God. That one phone call, like, you're like, oh, I need to be connected to electricity. <laughs> yeah, I need my electron string. Um... So I think, you know, staying on the, on the subject of students and, um, you know, there's been a real uh, shift in um, tertiary education in Australia and probably, I don't know, as someone who never went to university, it's hard for me to peg when it started, but I feel like it's probably the last decade. Um, there's been a real shift to um, make Australian universities very attractive to international students, um, which of course, you know, so we ha- already have a multicultural society here in Australia. We attract more international students to our universities, so it makes them incredibly diverse on a, culturally. Um, so universities are, are pursuing this almost as, well, not almost as a business model, as a business model. They're trying, they want more international students to come here. But um, are they, aside from getting the students here, are they actually doing anything to work you know the smile on your face i think i already know the answer are they actually doing anything to account for this cultural diversity and to make you know the 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 university itself a really good place for international students to be or culturally diverse and not even international because there's there's diversity in domestic students as Mm. well so yeah there's diversity in people yes funny that isn't it yeah we don't have to i was actually at the women uh senior women in tech meet up last night which is senior CTOs, CIOs and it's about 
bringing more women into the senior roles in tech because mm-hmm. I think it's currently at eleven percent and they want to get it up to thirty three. In an eleven. Rent. I know it's teeny tiny. That's terrible. But we were talking about diversity, and I was like, "Stop talking about diversity as like man and woman. Like that is not the definition of diversity." No, it's not. So, is there a focus on um, w- when you work at university? I take a lot of responsibility for the experience of everyone there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have what's the word? Would is it due care or? Judy of care or Judy of care. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, so we have a duty of care, and we've at Sydney University, um, Professor Pip Patterson is a psychologist by trade, I think you can call it trade, and she's a wonderful educator, and since having her on board, it is a sole focus, that student experience, student journey, and every single student, um, not, not just undergrads, not just postgrads, not just HDR, mm. not just their postdocs, um, and a real holistic approach. Um, and engaging, and um, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Um, so Sydney Uni engaged Blue Egg to do a big student experience um, piece of work, mm-hmm. and it was enlightening, and it's going to continue. Um, and that research really drew out how many other people are working on this, but they're working independently in silos. And instead of tackling these big, big problems alone, it's like, well, let's create this um, consortium of change. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's like, let's help each other like you've got research we've got research you've got resources we've got resources let's let's band together and, and do this together mm. um, and take much more open source approach to problem solving for all our students experience um, not just international because yes you do have to cater specifically for people um, English as a second language who don't have their support yeah. around them don't have their family are changing completely different mindsets in terms of like the the pedagogy so how things are taught mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah you do have to I suppose onboard them yeah um, quite carefully and and um, considerately but let's fix like all our students let's ensure all our students have this like baseline and this like you know Maslow's hierarchy you know yes. safety security first and foremost and let's build up and let's build up together yeah yeah and yeah it is so um there's an awful lot of universities um that are doing it and UTS do a really good job of um bringing on board student mentors so your first day when you walk in on campus there's just bright t-shirts everywhere with students who are just like let me help you because i was in your shoes this time last year or this time last semester yeah and it's horrendous yeah so let's just a friendly face someone to get to know your name yeah um, and just pretty much just hold your hand even in those first few days first few weeks first few months because i mean it really you know it must be quite a terrifying experience for for anyone walking onto a campus for the first time as a as a you know as a new student they're loud. The the campuses are huge. They're not always very well signposted. Um, so wayfinding is really terrible. Although I feel like UTS is doing some good stuff around that at the moment. But um, yeah, I went to the wrong buildings all the time for meetings. <laughs> they numbered them, and it's no like. You know, they did, they did really there was no affordances yeah, to yeah. the numbers. You're like one is here, two is here, three, ten's over there. You're like, oh, where am I going? Um, so it's like, go to the cheese grater, go to the tower, go to the paper bag. Yes. And you're like, ah, oh, gotcha. Okay, good. Yeah. 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 So I I think 
but if you look again toxic assumptions like if you go back and you see how they grew they grew iteratively yes and there was no rhyme or reason to when planning permission came to or who got that funding when to build that building yeah and so they did go up and the numbers may be chronological um which has no relevance once they're all built no ah yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. I've always said, like, paint coloured lines to buildings. Like, you know, make ten green and just, if you want to understand, paint a line. You yeah. know, like London Underground, one of the best data visualisations ever. Yes, yeah, most definitely. Because it works. One of yeah. the most confusing systems, but it works. Yeah. I'm like, just do that. Just as long as you remember the name of the station you're supposed to go to. True. Um, certain, a certain person, me, <laughs> uh, last time I was in London forgot the name of the station that I was supposed to go to to get the train to Heathrow oh. uh, and went to another station completely and then like kind of stood there very confused mm. and uh, realised after about 20 minutes that I was at the wrong station and so I had to get a cab to the right station. Oh, ouch. <sighs> London cabbies. Yeah. Oh, no. In time my, to make... The, my my the fault. Flight. Like, I told them the wrong name. Yeah. I got it completely... Anyway, they both started with a P. Now I can't remember what either of them were. But all I knew... <laughs> well, that was my excuse at the time when I was trying to explain to my partner, like, you know, yeah. how I'd gotten it so wrong. I'm like, well, but they both start with a P. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it's a foreign language and all over in England. That's... Yes. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, this is a very much a how long is a piece of string question. I so love that. I know. Um, maybe let's, let's try and, and make a top five if we can. What can universities do better for students? <laughs> Look on your face, you're like, oh God, where do um, I begin? Okay, so I think, immediate, so let's go with the immediacy. Immediately bring them into the conversation. Mm-hmm. So, um, le- like, if you, if you wanted to know what has changed most recently for universities it's the internet is that people it's no longer um you know fill the bucket with knowledge it's very much like the pale yes um, yeah. and students are coming in and they've already been exposed to projects and they've already like they've already been working they've already some of them are even like 18 year old freelancers mm, mm. Um, they already have like one discipline under their belt and um, for since a young age like they're smart, they're savvy, they're entrepreneurs, like bring them in, they can help solve the problem. So yeah. that design with, not for. Immediately, Again. immediately, like constantly, like let them build their own things. Yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, let them solve their own problems, like empower them to solve their own problems. Um, I think secondly, call out those toxic assumptions. Like um, I know from an educational point of view, if you get a new coordinator on board, they're inheriting someone else's material. Mm-hmm. They're inheriting someone else's way of teaching. They're inheriting, like, let them start again. Yeah. Like, I, I loathe the term reimagine, um, because chances are you never imagined it in the first place. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. what about let's start again? Yeah. So, affording people that time to start again, um, the third is probably really start moving away from project funding if mm-hmm. it does not work um, and move more towards product um, and empower staff to build the things that they know need to exist and commercialize them yeah like because then maybe you can sell it to another uni you can sell it not even to another uni like stuff i've built is applicable to a range of disciplines mm. you know who doesn't need uh, clearer communication skills dedicated practice with automated feedback 
Yes. It doesn't need that. Yeah. It doesn't need exactly. this like really cheap time saving uh, mechanisms that mean everyone learns at their own pace mm. really well. Hmm. No, everyone needs that. Yes, most um, definitely, yes. So I think moving away from, you know, the oh poor me we're under resourced to oh my lord, look at how much money we can pull in. Um and so not being like so what's the word? Um not attached, but so dependent mm. on the funding models that right. yeah, currently yeah. exist. So take more of that entrepreneur um, kind of so, idea. So almost look at the funding model like seed funding. Pretty much. So that you, you use that as seed funding to find a, a way to generate revenue. Yep, and mm. generate the revenue because we can. Yes. We can. We've got the best minds in the world. Yep. We've got some of the toughest problems. There's absolutely no reason why we cannot generate like an awful lot more money than what we currently generate. Yeah, Instead yeah. of that, come in out, and then that will enhance experience for everybody, and it will attract an awful lot of talent as well. Mm. Um, I think we're up to number four. Number five, um, I'd love to see information architecture and service design really take a huge um, piece Mm -hmm. um, we're so siloed and there's only one way to overcome silos and that was with knowledge flow yeah that's the only way like make stuff searchable like, yeah, yeah make it searchable um and like em again empower people to find out the information for themselves i think my success in the university has been because finding the right person and asking the right question yep. took me nearly 10 years to build up that network where I know who to ask and ask them about certain things. That should not be the case in this day and age. And it's the same for our students. They, like, that's the that's the mental model. Mm. So when students come in, they need to know who to ask and what to ask. But it probably takes them most of their degree to work that out. Yeah. If um, they ever work it out. If at all. they ever work it out, and majority our students say, yeah, it took me about three years until I was like familiar with the system, and then I was out. And you're like, ah. <sighs> That's not. That's not you great. Know? And that's where technology can help. But th yeah, they'd be my maybe move. Make it searchable to number one. <laughs> <laughs> you love make it searchable. Ah, just let people get the information they need. But I mean, it's a it's a fundamental problem for organisations of all sizes. That siloing of knowledge, where like you know, okay, I'm in marketing and I've you know I I'm this is how I do all of my things and I have all these files and all this data and sales sales needs no they don't need to know that because they've got they can find it out for themselves mm. so yeah definitely I think there's not just universities all sorts of organizations of all kinds of sizes yeah. should be looking to make it searchable well, the, the absolute irony is we're a research institute so yes all of our work is published peer-reviewed published available to be like oh has this been done let me do a year-long literature literature review to find out, but we never do that internally. Yeah, we okay, never say, right. "Oh, this project has anybody ever done this before?" Oh, I don't know because it's not searchable. <laughs> Shit. Do you know what I mean? Yes, like, I do. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then you find out, oh, like, oh, someone's running this system under their desk on a server that they built. That's amazing, and you're like, "Oh, I need that." Why do I have to talk to 27 people over the course of three years to find, to find that out, out that you exist and that exists? Uh, yeah, like yeah, make, yeah. It, make it readily available. Like there's, like when I say genius, I do not use that term lightly. Like I mean like 
the best minds in the world. Yeah. And we have them, and they're right there, and we don't ask them. It's the biggest shame I've ever seen. Like, if you want to talk, I'm, I think in the university, my, my biggest, I think, just hurts me in the heart mm. is the waste of resources. Yeah, okay. And people's time. And, you know, I can spend... I can spend, you know, four years of my own time learning machine learning, or I can just ring up a professor and be like, can you explain this to me? And like, Yeah, someone who's devoted their whole career to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, and You're knows like, what everything. Do you think? What do you think? Yeah. Where do I start? Yeah. Instead of paving my own way, like, it just boggles. Yeah. My mind boggles. I mean, it's such a, like, I just, I'm... My mind, my, my, my brain right now is trying to comprehend how you build that IA and how you... It like, exists. NASA did it. Yeah, that's true. It's there. NASA did it? it. They have a public one. They have a private one. They yeah. use like graph theory to like map it all. There's yeah. not a single project in NASA that people can't reproduce, and lessons learned, like why did it work? Why didn't it work? Like this stuff is like actual rocket science. <laughs> yeah. Actual rocket science. Yeah, yeah. You know, it and it works. Like out in like fifty years from you go from X to Y. Yeah. And such amazing like feats of science and engineering and mathematics mm. and it was through knowledge flow and it works in research but we never eat our own dog food we never say okay we have this we have a centralized project management office where's their reporting yeah you do too don't you especially at sydney like you too a, yeah mm, interesting can i look it up can I, can I see where all the money's been going? Can I see how much projects cost? Why they cost it? Why those decisions are made? Probably if I scrape through decades of minutes. but Yeah, know. yeah. If you devoted a career to it. Yeah. yeah. If I did a literature review. <laughs> Maybe that's my PhD. Maybe. Um, but, I mean, look, like I said, that's very much a how long is a piece of string question because we could probably talk about that for weeks. Or for a whole year doing a lit review. Yeah, we could do a yeah, yeah. review on it. Um, so to change tax a little bit in your quote unquote spare time, uh, you co-founded Change in Ears. I did. Um, is that like a um, like a fun time outlet activity for you, or are there specific things you have in mind for that business? Or yeah, so it is very much. I'm very outcomes driven. Um, and evidence-based driven, so I like to see what I build oh, I love works. evidence-based things, yeah. Yeah, and it just works quicker there. So earlier when I mentioned Dave Perrin's quote, which is like 19th century, 20th century, 21st, mm. we're just 21st all the way. Yeah. So um, like we can build platforms in a matter of weeks and roll it out to massive research institutions and, and see that it makes an impact, it makes a change. Um, we're very much a social enterprise and mm. um, we over the years spending time in university and research we know that those project funding models don't work yeah um so if anybody wanted to build the kind of stuff we build it would cost you know millions of dollars and take two years to deliver yeah, and we're yeah. like we're like look we'll solve this problem with you let us keep the ip you'll have it it'll be like whatever you can afford we'll roll it out for that yeah and we'll make sure it works Cool. So it's I have to say it's quite refreshing. Um it's it's a very different pace. Mm. And I do like I, I really I want to learn how to code, I want to be a professional developer 
proficient developer so that I can teach it differently because I think the way we teach programming and coding is wrong. It, right. It is exclusive um, and it needs to be inclusive because that's the way the world is going. And so the only time I really get to code is in the company and the only time I get to learn yeah, and yeah. practice is there. So that's a huge driving force to me. Nice. Yeah, but I've no interest in like running a business or like being an entrepreneur. Or no, no, those no. Jobs. I just want to do the work and see that it works. And, yeah, yeah. And th- this is one tried and tested way that we can do it. Well, and I mean, you know, it means that you have genuine output that you then get to see deployed and used. Mm. And as we, you know, as we all know, once something's deployed and used, then people find ways to break it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> definitely, honestly, one of my favourite things when I'm when I'm working with. Uh, with usability testing in particular and user research is uh, before I, we even go to the first step of research, I, I will spend a day trying to break the thing that I'm about oh, yeah. to test. I love it. I love it, it, I love it. So I'm just much. like, let's mash these keys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Do you, you probably don't want me to touch that now. I'm going to tap it now. Yeah, I'm tapping yeah. it. What are you going to do? <laughs> you're, yeah. you're that kid that's like, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it. Touched it. Uh, <laughs> yes, I was. Yeah. I'm still the kid that you're does that. You're still that kid. Yeah, I said, yeah. you still are that, that kid. kid. <laughs> indeed, yeah, indeed. That's six or four kid. <laughs> um, Sonia, one last question. Um, gelato or soft serve? Which do you prefer? Uh, I'm Irish, so we do 99s, which is a foreign I'm sorry, concept. what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, what's a 99? A 99. Ask any Irish person what 99. 99 with a flake. So it's soft serve. Ah, okay, yep. dairy in Ireland is so different to Australia. Like, I don't know what we do to our cows. I think we just feed them grass that has been rained on quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> rain, Australia. Yeah, yeah, all the rain, all <laughs> yeah. the green. So our dairy is delicious. Um, and yeah, soft serve, 99s. 99s with a flake. Yeah. I love but it. in Australia, you know, ah. Anything with sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I mean, at least you've narrowed it down, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Sonia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank it's you. been a pleasure having you. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Alrighty, Sonia, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the podcast. Uh, really great chat about learning design and student experience uh, and certainly lots of work for all of us to do there to improve our educational outcomes for people. Alrighty, folks, that is it for this episode of Plastic Grass Square. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you find us. If you want to get in touch, shoot me an email to aaron at blueegg.com.au. Uh, or hit us up on Twitter at Blue Egg Tweets. Uh, we're usually lurking around there somewhere. Alrighty, folks, thanks for your company. See you again soon.